0: i'm gary jacob with GD jacob farms in winters texas you're listening to the latest news in texas agriculture on texas ag today
1: welcome to texas ag today a daily look at the latest news in texas agriculture
2: Hello Texas, always great to have you along for another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've gotta do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're gonna take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, corn harvest moves north. The Texas corn harvest now moving through central Texas. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Carrie Martin, I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley.
0: There are quite a few pork operations in the Texas Panhandle, which means our region has reason to celebrate the big increase in U.S. pork exports. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today.
2: Sorghum producers in Texas and across the nation have various farm bill priorities, including protection of federal crop insurance. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments from the chairman of the National Sorghum Producers on Texas Ag Today.
3: During hot, dry summers, we host Dry Up and grasshoppers fly in search of green plants. With continuing warm and dry conditions, grasshopper populations can become problematic. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton.
2: We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The corn harvest is now moving into central Texas, making its way north from Austin to Dallas. Mark Prince farms in Copeland outside of Austin, and he says he's very pleased with the harvest on his dryland corn.
4: We're about five days into harvest now, and so far we've been finding some good corn yields, you know, averaging from about 110 to 165 bushels an acre here in this area, which is, uh, we're considered really well for this dryland corn. We expect to see some more good yields as the harvest goes along.
2: And that is a big turnaround from last year.
4: Yield-wise, it's a lot better, but it's definitely warmer this time of year, it seems. But this is, I say normal for a Texas summer. We expect hot and dry this time of year, coming through June and July and August. But the rain was definitely a blessing this spring. The crop that we're harvesting now, we're pleasantly surprised for what we're reaping now with the, like say, as hot as it got and dry.
2: And Prince's good harvest is reflected in the latest Texas corn crop ratings. The numbers that came out this week show a whopping 80% of the Texas corn crop rated good to excellent, 25% fair and only 5% rated poor to very poor. The hot, dry weather is elevating the risk for wildfires across Texas.
5: Persistent triple-digit temperatures and dry conditions across much of the state has increased the risk of wildfire, prompting the Texas A&M Forest Service to urge everyone to be careful with anything that can create a spark and ignite a fire outdoors. This week alone, the Forest Service has responded to 14 wildfires burning more than 500 acres, and the risk may be higher toward the end of the week as wind speeds are expected to pick up in north, central, and south Texas, the southern region of east Texas, areas in the rolling plains near Wichita Falls and Abilene, and areas near San Angelo, Fredericksburg, and San Antonio. The Forest Service says the risk for wildfire activity will remain elevated through the first week of August, as very hot and dry conditions are likely to continue. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domal.
2: Commodity checkoff programs are coming under attack in Congress. There's a proposed amendment to USDA's fiscal 2024 appropriations bill filed by Representative Victoria Sparks of Indiana that would bar USDA from operating the 22 checkoff programs. National commodity groups like the American Soybean Association, National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the National Milk Producers Federation have all issued statements opposing the amendment. There are quite a few pork operations in the Texas panhandle. James Hunt says that's a good reason to celebrate the big increase in U.S. pork exports.
0: As we've discussed this week, U.S. beef exports coming off a record year in 2022 are down a bit so far this year. But for pork, the story is very different. The volume of U.S. pork exports year-to-date is running 14% ahead of last year's levels. Much of the increase relates to the performance of the top export destination for U.S. pork, Mexico, where export totals are on a record-shattering pace. But another country to take note of is China. Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation says, even though China's domestic pork industry has largely recovered from the African swine fever crisis of a few years ago, China remains a solid buyer of U.S. pork products like feet, ears and organs, the so-called variety meats.
6: Even though those pork variety meat items don't command a great price per pound, China is still our main destination for those, and it's difficult to find other markets that will take them. Now, we have diversified. Mexico's taking more. Latin America's taking more. But that pork variety meat demand from China remains very important.
0: Also working in favor of U.S. pork producers is the situation in Europe, where, for various reasons pork production is down significantly.
6: With their supplies tightening, we've been able to recapture some market share in markets like Australia and Taiwan. Also some emerging markets like malaysia where we've taken market share back from europe and in korea
0: Sheely says at the present time u.s pork is in a position to continue gaining market share and maintain its momentum good news for our area considering all the pork operations in the northern panhandle i'm james hunt on the texas farm bureau radio network
2: national sorghum producers is pushing hard to get a good farm bill Tom Nicoletti visits with the organization's chairman.
1: My guest today is Craig Meeker. He is chairman of uh, the National Sorghum Producers uh, Board of Directors, and he
7: is a farmer in Wellington, Kansas. Our number one priority right now is getting a farm bill done, having a relevant safety net for the producer. Title I is not a relevant safety net right now for producers. We're advocating for more dollars in the farm bill and advocating to get a relevant safety net that gets that safety net up closer to the cost of production we'd love it to be over the cost of production but at least get it close to the cost of production for producers the next key issue is of course not having any harm done to federal crop insurance federal crop insurance is paramount to producers especially certain producers as we make risk management decisions whether it be marketing our grain and other opportunities federal crop insurance allows us to do that it's a backstop for us so it's again part of that risk protection portfolio that we use and we're going to advocate strongly to have no harm done for federal crop insurance and advocate quite frankly to enhance federal crop insurance you know we have some new products that that we've been working very closely with rma on that we're bringing to the market this year with an irrigated program that's an area-based program but it really gives producers an opportunity to ensure irrigated sorghum another thing that nsp is working on through the farm bill is to have a voluntary incentive-based conservation program that the producers can engage in if they want to if they don't want to let's find another product that we can work with but we don't need a one-size-fits-all product given from somebody that isn't living on that land that's not producing on that land today or for generations before
2: them
1: that is Craig Meeker with the National Sorghum Producers I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network
2: Hot and dry weather can bray on the grasshoppers. Forage specialist, Dr. Vanessa Olson, tells why.
3: Grasshopper eggs are deposited in the soil, half to two inches deep in weedy areas, fence rows, ditches, and hayfields. The Eggs hatch in the spring and early summer. Eggs of different grasshopper species hatch out at different times. The young grasshoppers can be seen throughout the spring and early summer. Young grasshoppers called nymphs feed for about six weeks. Once nymphs reach the adult stage, they can fly. Although grasshoppers complete only one generation a year, eggs hatch over a long period of time. Development from egg to adult requires about 40 to 60 days. Grasshoppers can persist until late fall when adults begin to die or when a killing frost occurs. Eliminating weeds will starve young hoppers and later discourage adults from laying eggs in those areas. Control the grasshoppers in the weedy area first with insecticides or be ready to protect nearby crops if they become infested. Grasshoppers deposit their eggs in undisturbed soil as in fallow fields, road banks, and fence rows. Grasshoppers are susceptible to many insecticides. However, insecticides typically do not persist more than a few days and grasshoppers may soon re the treated area. The length of control will depend on the use rate and residual activity of the insecticides and the frequency of retreatment. Controlling grasshoppers over a large area will reduce the numbers present which can reinfest a treated area. Monitor grasshopper infestations and treat threatening infestations while grasshoppers are still small. Immature grasshoppers are more susceptible to insecticides than adults. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today.
5: Parts of Texas may be impacted by a new proposal from U.S. Fish and Wildlife and NOAA. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today.
2: And getting a pre-purchase exam is critical when buying any horse. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen?
0: I just want to stay informed while I'm on the
2: go.
5: News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper.
2: I listen
6: to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying
2: to stay up on current events.
3: I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter or where it's hitting to see what I need to be preparing for.
2: Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today.
1: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag
2: Today. Getting a pre-purchase exam is critical when buying any horse. Dr. Bob Judd says that's a common mistake horse buyers can
4: make. Buying a horse can be a major or minor expense depending on the horse, and you may think if the horse is less expensive, it's not worth getting a pre-purchase exam. However, regardless of the purchase price, You still have to feed the horse and pay for veterinary and farrier care, so you will still be spending money on the horse. Another concern is folks can get emotionally attached to a horse that has serious medical issues and it's difficult to sell the horse. We recently had this issue happen in our practice as a new horse owner bought his daughter her first horse to start barrel racing. The owner called me about injecting multiple joints on the horse as the previous owner indicated this needed to be done routinely. After getting the previous records, the horse had multiple joints and the back injected numerous times over the last several years, as well as two surgeries. When I examined the horse, the horse was moderately lame, and after nerve blocks and x-rays, we found the horse had caudal heel pain and significant problems around the navicular bone that may prevent this horse from ever being used as a barrel horse. I injected the horse's coffin joints with cortisone, and we were applying a full roller motion shoe, to help with this problem. Hopefully the horse will respond, but this is a fairly serious lameness for a barrel horse. And even if the horse responds, further treatment will be necessary. If I had seen this horse or even the medical record prior to purchase, I would have cautioned this owner about purchasing this horse. This horse is a great looking horse with a great disposition, and these are hard to find. However, they have to be healthy to do their job and a pre-purchase exam can help decrease financial and emotional stress. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Parts of Texas may be impacted
2: by a new proposal from U.S. Fish and Wildlife and NOAA. Jessica Domo has more about that proposal in today's wildlife report.
5: The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration are proposing additional protections for threatened and endangered green sea turtles. Green sea turtles were listed under the Endangered Species Act in 1978. Now, Fish and Wildlife has proposed the designation of new areas of critical habitat for the sea turtle in several states, including Texas. According to Fish and Wildlife, the 8,870 acres in the proposal are areas where green sea turtles bask, nest, incubate, hatch, and travel to the sea. Shannon Estenos, Assistant Secretary for Fish and Wildlife and Parks, says designating critical habitat for green sea turtles will help them effectively carry out their mission of protecting and recovering the species. NOAA Fisheries, which shares jurisdiction over the sea turtles with fish and wildlife, proposes designating marine critical habitat from the mean high water to 20 meters depth. It includes sargassum habitat in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. Fish and Wildlife says this will protect access to nesting beaches, migratory corridors, and important feeding and resting areas for green sea turtles. According to Fish and Wildlife Service documents, sargassum habitat in Texas from the Mexican border to Galveston Bay would be included in the proposed marine critical habitat. FWS reports that designating critical habitat under the Endangered Species Act does not affect private landowners unless they implement an action involving federal funds, permits, or other activities. The public can comment on the proposal through October 17th on regulations.gov. There, search for green sea turtles. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domal.
2: Live cattle, cotton, and corn all finished in the red on Thursday. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen?
7: I typically
3: listen here at work from my desk on my way to work in the morning. When we wake up, it goes on the radio.
6: I can hear a song and be instantly transported back to a time in my life that I enjoy remembering.
2: I think that's what I like listening to radio for is just to stay informed on whether it's news, sports, new music, anything. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. Live cattle, cotton, and corn all headed south on Thursday. We finished lower in the live cattle market, higher on feeder cattle. August live cattle dropped 62 cents, 178.05. The October down 45 at 179.50. December live cattle 15 lower, 183.40. On the feeder cattle market, August was up 45 cents, 244.65. September up 82 at 248.27, the October up 90 at 250.35. Cash fed kettle market, very quiet this week. We've only sold about 3,000 head, that was at steady money, but again, that's a drop in the bucket, not enough to test the market. Feedlots are asking 180 to 182, but the Packers not getting anywhere close to that so far this week. Boxed beef prices mixed Thursday. Choice down twenty cents at three hundred three fourteen. Select up seventeen at two seventy nine ninety eight. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Gary Butler's on the line. Gary Butler, Nixon Livestock, sells them on Monday. Gary, how did this week's sale go? Well, Larry had another good
6: sale. Uh, we wind up with fifteen forty four uh cattle and on 151 cows and 24 bulls. Uh old calf markets still steady to higher. Uh I thought the cattle sold real well uh Monday. Uh two and three weight steers, two thirteen to three oh two. Heifers a dollar ninety-three to two ninety five. Three and four way steers two twenty seven to two thirty. Heifers at two thirty one to two ninety five. Four and five weight steers two twenty one to two eighty. Heifers two ten to two sixty. Five deers, Heifers, six deers, Heifers, deers, and six weight steers two thirteen to two fifty eight. Heifers two oh four to two ninety five. Six and seven weight steers two oh four to two forty five. Heifers a dollar ninety one to dollar forty eight. Seven eight weight steers in both yearlings dollar ninety eight, two thirty six and lappers, a dollar seventy six to two forty five. Uh like I said, this HK Market is uh, is really, really, really good. Uh Cows. We got the dollar four for the best count. Flower $1.00 a dollar to a dollar twenty-six. Stocker cows, six hundred eleven hundred pairs, eight ninety-five to twelve thirty-five. Larry, do you know of anything for this next Monday? <laughs> I have uh I think there's eighteen uh these cows, middle aged, I guess. Uh Angus plus cows coming. They'll be they'll be all palpated. Uh and uh, they should should be pretty good kind kinda of quality cows. Uh that's all I know right right hand, Larry. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you for the next sale, Gary. You can get us here to Cell Barn 582 sixty two. Catch me on the mobile, eight three zero eight five seven or three thirty Larry. Labor, that's it for Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. There was Gary Butler.
2: We'll see you back again right here on Texas Ag Today. Now back over to the futures market. We're leading hogs closed mixed Thursday. August hogs were up 37 cents, 102.02. October down 37, 83.25. Class three milk was higher. July milk up 4 cents, 13.82. 100 weight August milk up three at 1705 Big drop in the cotton market on Thursday. Of course, we've seen a nice move higher in this market. It is a bit overbought, so traders came in and took some profits, also squaring out positions because we're here at the end of the month. And add to that a rising U.S. dollar, and that definitely set the stage for a lower market on Thursday. October cotton dropped 336 points, 86.62. December cotton down 355 at 84.38 corn market was lower on Thursday despite the fact that there was another Russian attack on the Ukrainian Port of Odessa that did boost the market early in the trading day but when we got to the close we had turned it around and finished lower September corn down 7 533 and a quarter December corn down 6 at 542 and a quarter. Wheat complex was mixed, hard wheat steady to higher, soft wheat finished lower. September Kansas City wheat up one and a quarter, eight sixty-six and a half. September Chicago wheat down seven and a quarter at seven twelve and three quarters. In the energy markets, August natural gas down sixteen cents at two fifty. September West Texas crude oil up ninety-seven at seventy-nine seventy-five a barrel. The financial markets were lower Thursday afternoon. The Dow down 238 points at 35,281. The NASDAQ down 77, 14,050. The S&P down 29 at 4,537. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A.